Hello and welcome to the MadeCast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve the history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the one you hear in a few minutes. I'm Chun. I'm Red. And I'm Miles. Today, for something a little different for our 50th episode, Alex catches up with Travis Julian, a longtime friend of his, about their memories of gaming over the years, wargaming, and how they have seen the industry train change over the decades. Uh, this was a really nice interview. It, it's kind of like, a, it's almost like a longtime interview of what we do at the end of the episode, just talking about what we've been playing. But this is, this extends far longer than what recently has been played. It's a it's great to hear two people so deep in the industry and in the sphere talk about everything that they've done over the years and the games that they still enjoy. They also touch on like briefly uh, like what what does it mean it's another conversation, but it's like what does it mean for like the lifespan of a game? Like how long can a game like stay relevant? Uh or in the sphere of like competitive gaming as well. Uh, this was a really nice interview. It's great to hear someone chat with. It's always great to hear Alex and somebody talk so candidly with one another and just have such a great repertoire. Um, this is very, very good interview, and I think everyone will enjoy the back and forth. It's a fascinating interview and a look into some great games. But first, we have some news for you. Ubisoft is reportedly making a new Splinter Cell game. Almost 10 years since their first one. Uh, Splinter Cell Conviction was in 2010, and Splinter Cell Blacklist was in 2013. That was the last one released. I used to be a bit, like, when I was middle school and younger, I was a really big fan of the Splinter Cell games. I really liked the like the fighting aspect, but also just sneaking around and using other, just being able to have, to sneak around in environments where there's tons of other people that you don't want to draw their attention. Mm -hmm. In my experience in school, you were either a Splinter Cell fan or a Metal Gear fan. And I fell into the Splinter Cell camp. Uh, the story made more sense to me. Yeah, it, yeah made a little bit more sense. I absolutely loved Conviction. It's one of my favorite stealth games of all time. Uh, Blacklist was also very good. I don't think it really hit the same level of stealthiness as Conviction, mm -hmm. uh, but it was still a great, enjoyable game. And I've been waiting for this announcement for years, so I'm very happy that we're getting more Splinter Cell. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it also kind of reminds... It's a... Uh slightly of the same camp as uh really early ghost recon games just you have a you have a mission to accomplish but it's not just go full force and like head on right into everybody you need strategy and to sneak around it's they they did they nailed it with those games i do got to say it's a really they nailed the tense feeling that you get walking around and trying to not get caught and then the satisfaction of a, completing a mission was I almost thought really? they got to merge the game to Rainbow Six the last time I see them having collaboration. 
I yeah. think there was. Yeah, they're they're putting Sam Fisher into Rainbow Six as an operator, mm-hmm. mm. which is which is a, a fr- used to be a very good news for the fans of Spin the Cell, but now well, they're I mean, having their own game. Yeah, and well, the character is also just. I mean, for this for the strategy for Rainbow Six, it's I feel very much like it's like oh, so you, this character can just hide in the wall and wait for somebody and then pop out and <laughs> take them sneakily. Literally cuts a hole in the wall, hops in the wall, and then waits. Uh, but so we will we will be very excited to see what new Splinter Cell comes. Uh, also, this, this little second piece of news: uh, Hiroshi Ono uh, has unfortunately passed at the age of sixty-four. Uh, he was an original designer for the sprites for Galaga, Dig Dug, and Xevious. Uh, a legendary art producer in the industry. Some of his designs, I'm sure, have inspired generations upon generations of game developers. Uh, and we're very sorry to see you go. Thank you very much for everything. There is currently a uh, crowdfunding campaign to have a documentary made about his work and his life. I believe it's currently sitting at something like $30,000 raised. Yeah, that would be... Uh, it would be a worthy story to tell and mm-hmm. to get out to other people. His his work is synonymous with so many games that you just see images of uh, that you don't know who did it. Well, majority of people don't, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. But rest in peace, Hiroshi. Here's uh, to telling your story in the future. Uh, thank you for everything. And also, thank you to the developers of god of war for releasing the new installment of the norse mythology series on pc looks like early next year so that'll be exciting if you haven't had a chance to play the 2018 god of war on ps4 wait no longer january of next year we should be getting it on pc this is following in uh sony's cycle of slowly releasing like four years after the fact, uh, their PS4 exclusives to PC, which I think is a great move on their part. It's showing a lot of goodwill. Yes. Yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn was a roaring success on PC. People love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pick up God of War. Like, I'm not going to buy a PS4 or a PS5, but Yet. I'm very happy that I can at least still play the games that they've made for it. Yeah. And I, I got to see, hopefully it's not too buggy based on like porting it to PC. But it's a uh, that was one of my favorite games. I really I mean of that time it was God of War and Red Dead Redemption when they came out. It was I was blown away by both of them so much. Just storytelling, gameplay, it was so much fun and it was really nice to see that like the end life of the PlayStation 4 gets some really really fantastic entries that can i mean that they they both like god of war just pushed the ps4 to like oh man i i know the ps4 was good but it looks amazing it, it just it runs amazing the gameplay is just insanely fun you're you're going to enjoy yourself when you play it on pc it's a very good game 
it seems like every developer is starting to see this pile of money on a PC platform instead of just releasing it on one console or maybe two. Like, not only Sony is doing that, but also I think Sega Sega have been doing that, and mm-hmm. also Capcom has been switching their strategy. Mm-hmm. It's good news to us, but I keep my opinion on Nintendo. I think their games is at best on Switch. I don't think yes. Nintendo needs or ever will no. put their stuff on PC. Their game no. is, is so designed for the Switch only, and if it gets out of Switch, it's, it's not that fun anymore, in my opinion. No, it's not. Uh, it's The way they design their console, it's, it's such a unique experience to play yeah. with it. But I think that's all the time we have for the news today. So without further ado, here's a lovely conversation that Alex had with Travis Julian. And here we go. The Alex and Travis Show. And we are here with Travis Julian. Uh, Travis is my oldest and dearest friend, and uh, we were going to talk about growing up together playing games welcome travis hey oh my god recording hey. old games going down memory lane i know wondering what know. And, and happened the... to the gaming industry along the way uh and and uh the the thing to note here is that actually you and i created a podcast what 15 years ago and did like six episodes and then we're done with it and yeah. so this is appropriate having you back here for episode number 50 of the maids podcast circles and circles <laughs> so uh, I remember on the floor in your room, you didn't you have a TV in your room with your NES? Yes. All right. So what games did you have? I know you had Jackal. That's the one that sticks out for me. Jackal. Akio Warriors. Oh, yeah. Akari, uh, yeah. Akari, Akari or Key? Yeah. Well, I have no well, idea. It's... It was it's spelled Akari, but I've heard it pronounced Ikari, too. <laughs> Depends where you're from, I guess. Oh, uh, let's see. What other? I mean, are we just talking about like? Well, I guess it was only two v two. Well, which one? Which were your favorites? I mean, like, which games do you remember? No, you hit it right on the head with Jackal. I think. I think I'm trying to remember what the baseball games were, but that was just because it was the Orioles were finally on a winning series, so it's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And now they. Again. Yeah, they're terrible. Plus, your brother was a big baseball fan. Oh, he's so beyond. I imagine he still you two is. Like, it's amazing. But, uh, yeah. Nope. I remember, though, like, skipping up, like, GoldenEye. Oh, well, yeah. But that's... that's. I mean, we, we haven't even gotten to the apartment in San Francisco. We'll get to Road Rash 64, <laughs> which took up all of our time. Oh, Tony Hawk. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we did do a lot of Tony Hawk. But I wanted to start further back. Like, what about Steel Panthers? You and I used to play Steel Panthers too, right? Like, all Gary Grigsby. Oh, my God. That game was so deep. Uh, it's also refreshing. Like, if you think about it, in, in the sense of where that started with hex-based gaming and two-dimensional, and we've gone to... A series like, uh, oh, what's coming? The th- uh, was well, it Company of Heroes 3, which is coming out <laughs> where it, they finally adapted it to, to be something closer to Total War. Right? It's like all real time. It's completely different games, I mean, on every level. Definitely. It's, 
it's funny to think, but that time span is so short and how quickly it, it's, it's expanded. All right. Mm-hmm. And even to think about, yeah, and I don't know if this is starting to get off track, but just like going from sitting in your room to the the competitive gaming industry within what, not even 20 years, really. Yeah, it's it's moved along incredibly quickly. Uh, it, but, you know, at the same time, it's still sort of the same flavor, right? That I, I would imagine that a person playing today called, you know, Company of Heroes is able to evoke the same sort of sense and that they could get from like a, a Steel Panthers World War II simulation at the time, right? Like maybe it's it's a it's a more graphical experience, certainly, but like I remember just getting really absorbed in those battles. But never mind close combat. I mean, I mean, close combat was probably the best of those, I think. And it, but I mean, close combat compared to Company of Heroes, I mean, they are kind of very similar games. That's a lot, some a lot closer than Steel Panthers. Yeah, uh, but then yeah, with commands and sort of micromanagement, and I guess that's the what came back to sort of like the comparison of there there had to be micromanagement in Steel Panthers versus Call of Duty or not Call of Duty, but Close Combat, where it it was point and click versus okay, are you gonna? Well, I want you to move three spaces this way, then pop smoke, then so and 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 good luck if they actually do it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was the big innovation there? I mean, that was a genuine difference between uh, the previous generations, right? Like close combat added the fact that giving a squad a command did not mean they were actually going to be able to execute it, or would they even you know get near executing it? Where in you know Steel Panthers, the only way that wouldn't happen is if they'd been routed and they were running away. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> artillery, or artillery. or the old tradition of just stacking tiger tanks in a line and just <laughs> okay, walk right into it. Yeah, right. No, you do. You steel panthers. We never it was never a competition. You always stomped me. Uh, I feel like close combat for a time there it was at least I could I could hang. But you have you have by far exceeded me in that game too. You've always been able to kick my ass in World War Two games. Well, times have changed. I think <laughs> nowadays, like that's the other side to it is like, is there that that level of strategy thinking versus? And I guess it gets into sort of a conversation about sort of playing with other vet friends, where you have mm. games now that are are very specific with their meta in terms how to win, mm-hmm. and. No, World of Warships specifically. Oh, yeah. That's one, but I, I think it, it can be applied to other things. Tell me tell me about your, your clan and the guys you play with. You play with a bunch of other guys who are in the, the Army, the Navy? It, or, it, I mean, they're an interesting group with the sense of it, it goes from colonels from the Vietnam era who, who were active and, and regular Joe duty guys to... Active in the army or the navy? They were in the army. Uh, I'm trying to see. That's what I find there so some, weird. There's, you, there's some you, guys that were navy. Okay, I, okay. but it's but, a boat game. I mean, it's, it's a navy but game. But it's strategy, and there's a level of camaraderie, and and that's sort of the side. Even though World of Warships has completely become way too toxic, but <laughs> it it and in in kind of keeping with the sense of of games with specific metas that are 
kind of, I don't want to say controlled by whatever the company is. Like there's definitely that sort of, you're going to do this way because you have to shell out so many dollars to, to make your, to min max, whatever ship or whatever the, the platform is in order to maximize. And again, it comes down to like DPS, which is always well, amazing to me versus strategy or tactics. Yeah. The DPS, the DPS is what people lob onto. Isn't there some kind of drama going on there? Didn't they just reintroduce a ship or something? Can you explain? Uh, that? Not off the top of my head because I've kind of, I, I needed to take a break from it. And, and that's, <laughs> I mean, like that's the other side to it too, is that you have these companies that push and push games and, it it burns you out, which shouldn't, I mean, like the moment a game feels like work, that's, that's a problem. And if you, you well, can't catch up to that, that's a problem. That's, I mean, interesting you mentioned that. Now, now, do you feel that World of Warships feels like work all the time? Or is that just what happens when you're up at the high tiers that you're in and people expect you to be really, really together, not screw up or... Yes, and I think it's also sort of, I mean, it, it, it was different for, I guess, us because when we were competing, and we stopped competing, but mm. we were out to have fun. And, and the bottom line was to kind of screw with whatever the meta was for that cycle of the match. Um, I love that, going the opposite direction of the meta just to play with well, people. What we did one season, and, and we all loved it, even it kind of worked for a little bit because no one was expecting it. <laughs> but it, it got into this concept, and, and it gets into World of Warships where you have everyone, oh, how much damage do I do? How much damage do I did? And how much, you know, how much, how many shifts I said? DPS, the DPS. Right. But the other side to it too, and it's sort of the thing that, all the guys kind of listened to me. When you play the, that World of Warships and specifically, it's not, you don't win the game by sinking the most ships. You win by controlling space. You control by mm. the capture points. And what we did for, I think it was like two seasons. And it was okay. We got kicked sometimes, but we went all destroyers. <laughs> that's beautiful and what we did was we would bounce from cap zone to cap zone we would flood an area with torpedoes to force part of the <laughs> detachment or whoever was challenging us away from a zone we would cap it and then we would fall back behind it to see and since it was destroyers and the torpedo effect and, and that's what the guys started to realize when I was telling them it's you control space you, yeah, you, and and that's I mean the the destroyers can move faster than the other ships. You'll never hit a destroyer from a battleship, right? You, you'll never hit it with a torpedo run. You'll never hit it with an air. I mean, maybe a dive bomb, right? Run. And and radar, and also, and that's where the guys got good. Oh, you'll never see them too. Yeah, you'll never well, see them. Well, we we all we knew we again. It, it comes back to that moment of controlling space. You you have to know the mechanics of what the other ships mm -hmm. are you, you there and that's where i think all of us kind of pulled together because it, it was that statistical baseball side guy thing you know like <laughs> the money ball you were playing money exactly ball. it gets into you know this ship's radar is going to go out nine kilometers okay i have to be at this 
this and also knowing timing too like you, you had mm-hmm. to know okay their set radar is going to be up for 30 seconds after that 30 seconds then i can move in then pop back out so again mm-hmm. i we we did okay we surprised a lot of people i mean there was teams that afterwards they <laughs> they would type to us and be like we hate you so much because <laughs> because we we pulled it off there was other we, yeah. we ran into a couple other clans that were trying to do it but they they couldn't pull it off yeah it takes a lot of coordination because you all have to move as a swarm right exactly yeah there's you can't have one destroyer off at the other capture point you need those torpedoes down at the bottom because you're going to get one or two sinks just flooding that first area yeah and that and that was the other side to it too was you know we we would hit and we would try to volley so if we got one ship to hit and it didn't damage it, but the next volley that would hit the ship and cause a flood. So you have that Mm -hmm. damage over time versus DPS. And we were always Mm -hmm. trying to hit because that's infuriating to know that you're Mm going to sink no matter what. And that's what we were always trying to kind of look for. Honestly, that's a great metaphor for the World War II situation in the Pacific anyway, because there are a lot of boats in battles that like knew they were going down and are firing their guns until the last gun goes under the water. And, and that's also sort of, I think, where, where the guys kind of started to get away from the game, too, because you have a bunch of guys that were very historic, very, I mean, it, it amazed me, these guys' attention to detail, where even mm-hmm. military army guys, you would wouldn't think but there was always this value of history history historical accuracy and it it mm-hmm. just started to pull away from the game maybe the first mm-hmm. two or three years where where you know things were very straight but that i mean again that kind of also gets into the interesting aspect of what's the shelf life of a game like yeah right like how long how long can they keep refreshing and making it interesting i mean honestly the appeal i always found for that game is that it's an old person shooter it's very yeah like that and that's the other side too is that you run into the problem and especially with you and me where i guess we're sort of in betweeners where we're we're Mm -hmm. that gen x generation that can kind of relate to older people but still are enough in the pop culture especially like pop culture of games uh, even mm-hmm. in the movie i was telling free guy like to me it wasn't a movie the funny thing was like all the relatable games and little tidbits in that movie that you're just like oh this whoever wrote this was a gamer you could tell yeah that there was you could tell you you you're absolutely right you could tell that movie was written by somebody who knew the culture and was not just bolting it on to something right like it's the little subtle things that you're like oh you're such a noob (laughs) like like that aspect that just it 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 got the gaming sort of subculture right on Mm -hmm. so all right now i want to go back now we can talk about the n64 road rash 64 (laughs) is probably the most crudely absolutely it's horrible that people don't know this game and if it exists because as a single-player experience, it's whatever. But as a four-player experience, we played the crap out of that yeah, game. You, oh, my God. Who was the room? The, the, what was the night where we, we made up? Wait a minute. That was the motorcycle, motorcycle one. Yeah, yeah. Where you could yeah, spike rash, yeah. someone. 
Yeah, you could uh, you could uh, spoke jam. You could stick your who did I? Your, I you know, who did <laughs> like was it Thomas? It was Thomas. Where it, like in it a midair jump, and, and everyone was like, oh. <laughs> I know that's so one of the things that was great about that game was the elasticity of the racing. When you were playing four players, it did not matter. Like the actual race of it was was just thrown out the window because if somebody was behind, Oh, it's all about being personal. That, that, that game, yeah. there, there was nothing about racing. It was just everything was personal. Oh, absolutely. Well, that was designed that way. What I'm saying is like, if you got behind, it would speed you up. Right, you right, wouldn't right. notice it, but it would elastic you right back up with the posse. So like the game was designed to keep all four players right together. So you would just constantly beat the crap on each other until somebody fell over. That was brilliant and absolutely brilliant addition to that game. No, you hit around the head. I, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's very true. The spoke jams, the spoke jam. Remember, I think it was the two yellow buttons you had to push together to do the spoke jam. Something but that like was, that. Yes, there was resistance. Cause the, the bike would just go flying and the guy, you know, what was that? Remember Fat Spider-Man was one of the skins we would use? Yes, Fat Spider-Man. <laughs> there was also the Harley version, which was, you could tell, there was just no way. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't use the Harleys in that game. They were worthless. It was all about the rice was, rocket. Yeah, exactly. No, the, the, the Harleys, were, I guess they were tough and they were fast, but they couldn't turn and you'd just go flying off the road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Good a Harley would. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> The other uh, the other game we used to play all the time was Duke Nukem 3D on the Max. Remember oh, we yeah. Everybody's room? We had, the, had <laughs> yes. internet running down the halls. Yeah, you can, uh, that's the thing with Duke Nukem. You can't get away with that type of shooter nowadays. It, it just broke too many PC. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, like, yeah, like, no, this PC stuff Who aside, made Duke? Was that actual, Capcom? No, 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 no. No, that was 3D Realms, and they made Duke Nukem Forever, and yeah, no, they, they, they originally it was G GT Interactive, if you remember them, uh, but that game as a deathmatch game was spectacular. Yes, the rocket. It was all about the long shot rocket. Oh, I like the shrink ray. I'd always step on. Yeah, that, there's, <laughs> and that yeah, there aren't too many games with that kind of diversity or humorous weapons. I guess would be the like the mm. where you're just like. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, they're out there. Was one there was one in like mid two thousands where there was like a shark gun. I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't in like Very, Quake. No, but now that Quake's back out, we need to fire that one up. But like, all right, so you and I continue to play games to this day. So what do we play as uh, recommendations for you know the co op crowd out there who are looking for games to play? Do you and I are. <laughs> Wildlands is still kind of yes. surprised. I was very surprised you got it in, got into it as much as you did. I was like, I was not expecting this. So uh, the thing that turned me off about Wildlands is the setting and the story and all that stuff. That's just awful. It's just god awful. <laughs> it's like somebody somebody read three pages of a Tom Clancy novel and was like, I got this. You know, hold my beer. But <laughs> exactly. everything else in that game is terrific and is up to AAA quality. It is polished. It is fun. It has been played through and tested to the point where, you know, there are bugs, but like, it's not like Bethesda style bugs. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we just have fun, man. It's a fun game. And I got, I mean, we've invented the handy maneuver of like driving a car directly into the front of the, whatever mission it is, losing the mission and starting over. <laughs> well, now we know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, we were also, we played some Foxhole 
What do you think of Foxhole? It's there, but I think, again, it, it gets into that question of detail, attention to detail and learning curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly think that the next 10 years, we will see Foxhole redone 20 different times in 20, like a first-person Foxhole, a VR, fo you know, this is the model for the, the online MMO war for future. Uh, maybe. We'll see. It depends on the trench warfare aspect. Like, that's a, well, it, like, again, getting back into sort of that, that question of meta. You know what I... Yo, well, my God, that game's all meta, right? right? Like, every war, it's a different meta. And that's, that's not going to change for any future version of Foxhole. Like, like you said, the longevity requires the meta to be played. Yeah. Yeah. Or for companies, at least, to make money. You know? Yeah, they, then that, that's the thing is like the meta, it's, it's dials, right? Right. Is it fun? Is it making money? And I guess you feel like World of Warships has kind of turned it too far to the, the money side than the fun is and, gone. Well, and that's a good, I mean, and sort of a broader spectrum, even sort of talking about games about Baldur's Gate, but also like, huh. well, Baldur's Gate 3, where the potential's oh. there, but the question of, and, and this is a timing thing for like you and I, where... Mm -hmm. There was never an alpha release. The game was done when it was released. You, you, you maybe oh, well, Baldur's Gate Two or the original Baldur's Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get into that sort of um, like what? games being released now that they know can make money, but it's not polished like stars. Oh well, yeah. Like I mean, specifically, this is when we were playing Baldur's Gate Two this weekend. It was terrific experience. We had a lot of fun, and honestly, it wasn't all that different from Baldur's Gate Three. You can do just about the same things. However, Baldur's Gate Three, every time we played it, we would get some progress, and then it would be like, okay, that's it. That's all. It's in this version, and then they release a new version, and they freaking they they disable like they destroy the old saves. Right. Like they're not backwards compatible. So, like, forget it. That's why I'm like, I'm not touching Baldur's Gate Three till it's actually done. And it's just sort of a discipline thing, I guess, on the part of the gamer, right? To not go in on these early releases until they're done. And it, you have to make the judgment based on each game because they're all in different states. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, but that gets into sort of, you know, I, I, I don't want to say like stalking, but like there's there's definitely an aspect to companies now sort of I guess that's sort of like the standard with, with computer games. Like, where is the standard of a product being qualified to engage the consumer so that, you know, it, it, it's a game that's quality, you know? Like, yeah, BG3's mm. quality, but it's still got a lot of problems. And there's huge, there's giant chunks missing, and it's basically a free open world game. So... Why would you start it until the world's done? Right. And they should they should just basically have a disclaimer or something. I mean, early access is not sufficient to explain anymore because I know some early access games that are brilliant and polished and basically done. Such as Well, Foxhole. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's not even 1.0 yet, right? Like, and and it's already hockey sticking. The community's going crazy because there's gonna there's gonna be wait times and queues now because there's people are just it's hockey Well, sticking. and that also gets into sort of the other problem with gaming where yeah, popular, but there's something about finding that, you know, you're you're mm -hmm. at the bottom level and you can be part of a game that builds up, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. sort of getting, very, getting it on the ground. Floor. Yeah, where you you don't have that, like, oh, my God, Diablo, like that the first original, like no one knew about it. Then all of a sudden it just 
boom. And, and there was no yeah, early right. access. It was one of those games that you went into a store and you kind of just saw the cover and you're like, oh, I got to try that. Right. And and at the time, it was like roguelikes did not exist anywhere. I mean, not that they didn't exist, but like roguelikes were not a thing. You couldn't go out into the store and buy anything with procedurally generated anything. Right. Yeah, it was so different. It stood out. But unfortunately, we have overgone our 20 minutes, Trav. But thanks for being here, man. It's been good catching up. All righty. That was a marvelous interview. Thank you very much, Travis, for giving us some time to chat with an old friend of yours. And it was great to hear the, great to hear everything. It was very fascinating to hear about their strategy with, uh, uh, World of War boats. Uh, I believe was the name of the game. Warships. World of Warships boats. Uh, it just destroying the meta of the game in order to beat other people. I was that's pro gamer move. Pro gamer move. No noobs here. <laughs> uh, it was. A lovely conversation, and thank you guys for doing that. Um, so I don't, I think that, that is also about time, all the time that we have today, right? I don't think we got much more time for talking about any other games we've been playing, unless we have anything else. Now we're gonna have to save Metroid Dread talk for next time, but I have things to say. Yes, things will be said and loudly, but we'll wrap it up. Thank you all for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at themade.org. We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our patient supporters who keep the made afloat. Patient donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we continue that with future episodes every week. Starting today to celebrate episode 50 of the Maidcast, we'd like to shout out a couple donors at the end of every podcast. This week, the lucky donors we would like to thank are Armand Massimini and Chris Fritz. Thank you. Thank you very much for your continued support and your continued listening. Uh, the Maid will be opening its doors. There's no discernible time frame at the moment. We're just trying to see what we can get. But thank you very much. We will be back. Our doors will be open. But until next time, I'm Red. I'm Chin. I'm Miles. Thanks. 